It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Fighting Cup Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Daniel G. Correct, it is. <laughs> uh, you're a football lawyer for firm called Sheridan's, uh, but more importantly, more pertinent to the Fighting Cup is that you're the author of Done Deal, a book. Uh, a, no, let me let me say it in full. Done Deal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers, and Premier League big business. Mouthful, but. 
Yeah. You're right. But it's necessary, <laughs> I think. So just so people get an understanding of what it was. But I can take a stab at, in the dark about what you do based on that title. But what, what what's a football lawyer? What is that? Is that what you are? You're a football lawyer. Yeah, I mean, what is it? And what do they do? Good question. So uh, I've been thinking about that for quite some time, to be fair. <laughs> but it's more or less what I think any lawyer that's a football fan would like to do is the truth and I'm a football fan really and I've always wanted to try and get into the industry and do that type of work but generally the type of stuff I do day to day um, revolves around transfers uh, usually acting for players um, and or their agents um, around contract renegotiations so although most of the sta- employment standard employment contract is a template it doesn't, doesn't move, doesn't change all of the payments, uh, all of the bonuses all of the release clauses, all of the buyback related stuff um, uh, definitions of all different types of things have been appearance and all that type of thing all of those type of negotiations or drafting I will help with you, um, you can't say the players you represent to be fair um, but you have Represented players from Spurs and other Premier League football clubs in the past, or perhaps currently do, or you, all right. No. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I can say, oh, you can say you fine. do, but not yeah, good. exactly. So you know, I've been I've been really privileged to work with lots of high-profile um, Premier League players yeah. across the you know all of their all of the elite clubs, and um, usually it comes around because I work with a lot of different football agencies and agents who have those players under representation contract. So a lot of the time it will be the agents that will be phoning me up on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis saying, we've got this issue, we've got this commercial deal, we're about to renegotiate a contract, we're about to do a boot deal, we've got this problem with the player being in the press, the player wants to buy a house, the player is getting divorced, whatever it may be. Not that I'm a divorce lawyer. No, no, but anything to do with law around the player's... Exactly, because a lot of the time, you know, as much as I see myself as a guy that will sit down on a computer and draft particular parts of a contract or help amend or do whatever, a lot of the time, my collective experience is that I've dealt with a lot of the matters that crop up on a day-to-day basis. So when one agent asks me, Daniel, have you you dealt with a particular newspaper because we've got this story that might be a problem for us, I'll go, well, actually, our reputation management team have done exactly that, and we know the editor, and we need to get in touch with them to clarify it before a story goes out. So we've, we've seen a lot of it before. How might that conversation go? So you've got a player's done X, Y, and Z, whether it's true or not, and you ring the editor and you say what you're about to print is illegal, or can you do us a favour, or we're going to put an injunction on it? What? Well, there's all of the above. So... And none of the above is the truth. And a lot of it... So I specifically won't necessarily do liable or defamation work because it's a very specific area. We've got an unbelievable team upstairs at Sheridan's, five or six strong, that do that type of work day in, day out. And when I mean you put a call into the editor, they've got, there are specific phone numbers for each newspaper that, um, uh, that you contact the in-house teams to be able to say you've printed this story but it's actually factually incorrect Mm. or you're going to print this story and you haven't given us the time to be able to for example comment on its accuracy or these type of things and some of the times then they will go ahead and do and some of the times they'll listen to us um, and all our team to be able to you know put across the actual true nature of the story or whatever is going on it's fascinating how often does that Happen. How often are players trying to get in jungle or trying to prevent a story from coming out? You only ever you only ever see that in the headlines where injunctions type of thing actually a lot of the time, or players not wanting to put stories out there or trying to get not get stories in the press. But ultimately, 
you know, 99.9% of all of the players I've ever acted for and hopefully will act for never get into these type of issues. Mm. I'm not saying players don't make mistakes. One of the main things I say in the book is understand that players are fallible, just yeah. like us. Yeah. Just like we make mistakes on a day-to-day basis and understand that, um, you know, mistakes happen, but give everyone a little bit of a break. <laughs> Yeah. Is, the, is the truth yeah, yeah. Um, you know um, I think footballers get held to a pretty high standard when actually you know um, everyone's as human as the next yeah I and mean, you look at what Raheem Sterling's gone through mm. and the way that he's been treated and, and victimised often and I think actually the fallout of that will perhaps end up with a slightly fairer press towards footballers maybe um, if I could just say one of the interesting yeah. things there is a general theme which I talk about in the book a bit is about the power of social media to do good so we talk about Raheem for example he put out I think it was an Insta post I think it was an Insta post basically just talking about his experience um, and um, you know the contrast in press approach to particular things how great is it that um, footballers can have that direct communication direct to the fan not through any media outlet completely unfiltered to say exactly what they want to say yeah. 15 years ago that's not possible mm. now it's instantaneous it has you know direct newsworthy impact and you know you don't have to go through a mouthpiece that's true it's a, it's a beautiful thing there's enough people on, on Twitter trying to destroy it though <laughs> barrage of vitriol that gets thrown football as well um, so I'm just going to go straight into kind of transfer stuff because it's the most interesting I think for fans um, how how complicated is a transfer deal? And just caveat that with fans think it's like well, I think most fans think like it's like Championship Manager thirty million pounds. Here's give us moves to Soho, yeah. and they say yes, we say yes, and it's not like that. No, very very much so. So like it's not that. <laughs> um, the way I've described it in the book is it's like multiple games of 3D chess if that's the right way of saying it that like if you can imagine 10 chess boards being played at the same time by different clubs and agents trying to move in particular ways that you hope that at some point five different things align which create the opportunity for one thing to happen and if one thing happens and the second thing happens and then the third thing happens because something else is going on which means that opening is the case for someone else then everything aligns beautifully for four hours. And if then that deadline doesn't get hit, then it's gone again. It's like a wormhole wow. opening up, if that's the right way. <laughs> so what I mean is, is like, I don't, try, and, try I and give an example. It's like an agent for three windows might know that four different clubs have uh, a need for four different strikers. And you might also know that there's four other teams that are willing to sell a striker for a certain amount of money, strikers for a certain amount of money. But you may know also that there are three other agents who say that they act for the other player. And you may know that the other sporting directors may have a, a tendency to know what the price range might be for something. So if one thing happens, one transfer potentially occurs, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the chain reaction might mean that that club has money to be able to spend which then means that that player might, that team might be able to go for that striker and that you know, as that player's agent, that you have a window to be able to approach the director of football to say, right, we know you've got that money, what about this player? But that has only come along, not because of that one phone call that's happened at that split second, but three windows behind, you've actually been able to work out that you know the needs of those particular clubs at the particular time um, and those aims and objectives fits at that exact moment. That's a nightmare. That's like... Um, 
it's like uh, a Morata going to Atletico Madrid so that Higuain can because AC Milan yep. men by there's like a triangle of yep. clubs or when Ozil moved to Arsenal which yep. freed up the additional money for them to buy Bale yep. which was a wonderful period of time for Spurs fans <laughs> uh, but it's the same for example very briefly with Coutinho moving there's always actions and counteractions and re- reactions but Coutinho going to Barcelona mm. in a part only because of uh, Neymar uh, Liverpool then being able to get um, Van Dijk and Alisson as a result in the two windows Roma being able to reallocate that money as well and Southampton being able to buy as a result so there's that just circulation of money mm. as a result of particular high profile transfers so the answer is it's very complicated and and it's often a, there are powers outside of an individual club that prevent them from, from getting the players that they want of course and the other side of things of the transfers is that you know I think people are becoming and fans are becoming a lot more educated through podcasts just like you guys and lots of other um Twitter feeds and um, you know guys like Swiss Ramble doing fantastic things as well yeah. is um, the economics of a transfer. So you know when directors of football, when um, head scouts, when transfer committees, where um, whoever managing directors, whoever it is at the club that has the ultimate control of the um, um, of the purse strings and the target list and the talent identification process. You know ultimately when someone says right well. It's a thirty-five million pound transfer. You know, again, as I mentioned in the book, um, a thirty-five million pound transfer is never a thirty-five million pound transfer mm. for lots of different reasons. But if I just give you three, the first is usually a thirty-five million pound transfer is usually only probably about two thirds guaranteed. Right. And what I mean so, by that is, is that the guaranteed payments, i.e., the payments that the selling club. Will uh, the buying club will give to the selling club will be set over maybe two or three seasons. So like an instalment. Exactly, it's literally on instalments. So every transfer, not all, some depending on the negotiation positions, but the vast majority are instalments. So I'll give you an example: thirty-five million pounds headline transfer might be two ten million pound instalments. One on uh, completion of the transfer and one on the first anniversary of the transfer. So that's 20 million out of the 35. Mm. But the other 15 million might be dependent on whether the player plays 50 games for the club. Mm. Another uh, 2.5 million might be whether the team wins the Champions League. Mm. Another 2.5 might be if the team wins the league. Right, so a proportion of the transfer would be kind of almost pie in the sky. Contingent is what they call it really, which is exactly right, which is it's it's dependent on performance of the buying club. So that's one thing that's always quite important to, to stress, which is 35 million quid is never usually 35 million quid without the success of the buying team. Yeah, because that's, that's exactly what you think. We think, oh, well, we've got, you know, Arsenal fans at the moment, I'm not, this isn't, a, I'm not attempting to dig, and I know you're not an Arsenal fan, but you're not a Spurs fan either. So what, when Arsenal fans go running and raving about Arsenal not spending money, mm. they spend money. Mm. They're spending a vast amount of money on wages, mm. And often, I, remember, I saw one of your interviews, you talked about the, the bigger implication is the size and length of a player's contract rather than the fee that they pay. Exactly. Whereas fans seem to just locked on to these transfer fees rather than the, extent, the length of the contract and the wages. And that literally puts me right onto the second point, which you exact, exactly spot on with, is you know everybody sees the £35 million transfer fee, query, it's never usually £35 million, that mm-hmm. figure. 
But more importantly, the long-term liability over a four, five, six-year deal, maybe it's a four or five-year deal, for those players that are earning that type, that are being transferred for that type of money, maybe another 30, 40, 50 million pounds. Mm. It's, you know, it could be, the, a high-profile player could be on five, six, seven, eight million pounds a year, plus image rights payments, plus bonuses, plus loyalty bonuses, signing on, etc. fees. So ultimately, you know, without um, putting too fine a margin on it, the, the liability of a club for a £35 million transfer may actually be a smaller transfer fee, but a much larger wage implication, which could get up to, you know, all in, 60, 70, 80 million pounds over the length of the player's contract. Yeah. And that's not including agents' fees, by the way, as well, which is usually and can be up to 5% of the player's basic salary that a club will pay on the player's behalf as well. So, all in all, the bit that I know that we've chatted about previously and before is, you know, transfers and how they're actually calculated and how people see them. You know, the fee, the transfer fee is only one element, sometimes a smaller element of the much bigger wage issue. And also, you know, the agency payment, which is, can be, you know, as we've seen with some of the reported figures, Why substantial. Why players pay their own agency fees? Short answer or long answer? Uh, a lot to get through, it's a short one. Is it a favour to the players, curry favour with the players? So historically, the way that things have evolved in terms of the agent's rules brought in by FIFA and, UEFA, uh, FIFA and the FA, for example, in the UK, is that um, as a benefit for the player signing with the club, the club will pay the agent on the player's behalf. Right, so it's just a universal... It's a universally accepted yeah. approach. Now, just like when you, uh, if you are an employee of a company, have a company car or uh, have medical insurance, that's classed as a P11D benefit. Yeah. And I'm not a tax advisor here, I'm not gonna go into P11D benefit structures, but what that means is that still the player has to pay the tax right. on the amount that the club pay to his agent on his behalf. Right. So the player still does have to pay tax to HMRC yeah. in his annual return, yeah. but it's not as much as he otherwise would have to pay if he paid it to his agent himself. Right. So, so, it's, so it's, it's really a tax benefit. It's a it's a tax benefit, exactly. Right. It's a tax benefit they, because they need more money. <laughs> they need wait. I don't know, whatever. That's a different conversation altogether. Um, do you know how the Sissoko? Because one of the, one of the things that Spurs fans have been arguing about is that we paid £30 million pounds as a SoCo. It sounds like, actually, a duration, the total cost of that contract and, 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 and the fee would be much more than that. But do you know, do you know the details of how that payment is, uh, was set up? I don't. No. Um, in terms of the transfer fee payable yeah. or the... I mean, I, I don't know offhand. Newcastle has been reported more likely when they buy players pay most of the money up front and not necessarily in instalments that's what some reports have been saying I haven't really done a Newcastle deal for some time so I'm not sure on that but the other way around with Spurs buying a player from Newcastle I'm I'm not I'm not sure unfortunately fair enough Um, so when when negotiating a contract for a player why are clauses so commonly used and and what's their purpose and then obviously specifically we've got an issue with Toby Alderweireld currently where um I don't, you may or may not, not know the details of this, but he can leave for, for a fee of around £26 million mm. in a window of three weeks during mm. the transfer 
window in 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 um, the summer this yep. year. So that was a part of a clause that was activated once we extended. We we yep. took the option to extend these contracts. Yeah. Where would that clause come from? Do you think? Well, it would come from I would say pretty savvy negotiations from the player's agent. That, for example, and it happens a lot at the time, that if um, um, a club has what's called a universal, a unilateral option, which is something that the club can automatically trigger, and there's a query over whether that's legal or not, by the way, um, from an employment law perspective, but let's not go there at the moment. Um, But regardless of that point, um, what I would sometimes try and um, uh, say to agents who uh, are subject to a club saying, well, we want a three-year deal, but we want a one-year option mm-hmm. to be able to extend. And it's reported that Manchester United do that this quite a lot as well. As Spurs, 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 Spurs have done it all of that. Yeah. that then what, what can happen is the counter-offer to that sometimes can be, okay, well, we'll give you that one extra year option, unilateral option, but we want a period where we can, get, we can um, insert a set amount as a release clause to be triggered during a particular period of time. Mm. The query is with release clauses is, and it's happened quite a a lot um, at different times, is whether, because the player's contract is confidential, whether actually um, uh, an agent can uh, put himself in a difficult position of not being able to disclose what the release clause number is. So how do we know? I don't know. So it might not be true? May not be. Good. Or someone is bri- either side are briefing journalists about what's going on. It's weird because it did come out. It was released in a news news story. Um, it wasn't the club. It wouldn't have been the club. So it's just something. Yeah. That it seems now just to be an ether. Yeah, and there's a wider point here as well. Again, which you, which I touch on the book about the, the press generally, um, which is whenever I read a story now in the press. And what I try and explain to uh, fans in the, bo- in the book is don't consider what's written as the main element to what you should take away from the story. Mm-hmm. Consider why it's been written and what it says and what it doesn't say. Because very quickly, usually, you can, most fans, most savvy fans will very quickly get a grip on who it's being said by or on behalf of, mm-hmm. why it's being said and the reason behind why it's being said. It may be from club side to say we want to you know, re-sign the player. It may be from club side to try and sell the player. It may be from the agent side to try and get a better deal with the club by trying to pre- pretend that there's interest in that player from elsewhere. So, so there's this sort of Machiavellian undercurrent. Sort well, of. you call it Machiavellian. I mean, a lot of people would just say it's playing the game to extract maximum leverage from your position <laughs> yeah your yeah, fans are just sitting there going wow every two minutes oh we're going to buy this player we're going to buy yeah. this player and then really it's just this game that's being played in order to negotiate a best possible outcome for whatever client that's being represented or the exact opposite which can be de- de- um, you know destabilising players you know what, what we what, what the narrative that a lot of fans will always see is um the, the bad agent trying to unsettle the player in order to get or the club to Definitely. get a move somewhere else that's the narrative and yeah. everybody understands the rules of the game the flip side of that is um, nobody sees or nobody seems to be quite as aware that when a club wants to sell you 
you're done as a player really, really? depending on you know you, you don't you're not going to play anymore obviously because you're not part of the manager's plans mm. um the club may still set a very high transfer fee for you, which may put you in trouble as well. And fans aren't as bothered about players not showing loyalty when the club wants to get rid of you. Exactly right. We've talked about this a lot. So it's a tri- it's a tricky balance. Me as a fan, obviously, you want your best players to stay, mm. but at the same time, as soon as a player isn't um, fit for the team anymore, then you, you know, then it gets brushed aside pretty quickly. Have you ever been involved in a deal? For a player that's leaving the club that you support, that you didn't want to leave. <laughs> so, well, I think we can be quite specific there. I mean, I'm pretty open that I'm a Liverpool fan, right. uh, and no, I haven't. It wasn't involved in Coutinho the other No, no, no. But um, generally, um, the 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 interesting element about that is is that if a player. Um, wants to leave and puts a transfer request in under the Premier League rules for example then they're not entitled to certain remaining loyalty bonuses and signing on fees etc because you forsake it because you're effectively not showing loyalty because you're wanting to leave that's why transfer requests in a way are becoming a little less common Mm. because players are realising that um, you know when a player leaves the opposite can also be the case so just talked about now if a club wants to get a player off his books the player says Okay, well, you don't want me anymore, fine. But I've still got three and a half years left on my contract. Why should I give that up? Yeah, why should I give that up? So if you want to sell me, you can get whatever transfer fee you want within reason. But I want to get paid for my three and a half years left on my contract. So that has to come out of the transfer fee? Well, no, it comes out in the end of the club, the, the selling club, deciding how much it's willing to pay off their player in order to incentivize him to leave. Right. It's, it's mad, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's pretty. For me, it's the what's most confusing is or, or hard to grasp is how many different um, balls are being juggled yep. or plates are being held, spinning in the air, just to keep a club ticking over. Because you think, of, like you mentioned about the amount of money and the instalments that are being paid on one transfer mm-hmm. deal, but all of these players have come in from other clubs. Yep. Unless you, it's quite rare that clubs have kind of academy graduates coming in. So the cash flow must be a nightmare in a club as well. It must be crazy. Well, that's why you have, you know, chief financial officers. I mean, we're talking about huge, we're talking about large sums that are flowing in and out at particular times of the year. Now, what will sometimes happen, the, the CFO will uh, know or try and align particular payments to particular times where the, where the club is going to be more cash rich. So times when broadcasting monies are due, when they know transfer fees are coming in for particular instalments mm-hmm. or otherwise. So, you know, this is... You know, a multi-million pound business with, um, you know, pretty complex financial structures and, um, you know, security in place to make sure that things are done in the right way. Mm. Um, do you think Daniel Levy is a good chairman? Don't know. I mean, I would say I don't know because I've never met him um, and I only read what's reported, so I can't, I can't say it, I'm afraid. Okay. Fair enough. I was going to ask if you had any legal side or any, any kind of input in the stadium build of Wyoming. No, I haven't, unfortunately. Only that, um, you know, my uh, my in-laws are all big Spurs fans. So, um, you know, um, they were obviously really happy. I mean, look, the stadium 
from what people have said that went in, have been in to see it at least at different times, says it's absolutely magnificent. But yeah. there's no doubt there's been big delays, which has caused, caused controversy. What, what, what is the legality around building a stadium of that size? Is it complex? Oh, you're, well, you're asking the wrong guy now. I mean, the, the truth is, is that that is um, uh, real estate construction and contractor and subcontractor liabilities, which is couldn't be further away from my area of competency <laughs> whatsoever. I'm afraid. But in your best guess, is it quite a difficult thing? in a legal sense to get oh it must be incredibly difficult where you've got a master uh, a master services arrangement agreement or the equivalent of you know um, a building contract with the amount of contractors and subcontractors I can only imagine how difficult it must be yeah Um, were you surprised by Spurs' lack of spending in the summer transfer market can you comment on that well there's a few things obviously going on here and it's all Publicly, publicly available info is that you know Spurs have had to commit huge sums to the stadium that leaves a hole obviously to fill second point also is financial fair play uh, where clubs have to balance their books to, to break even otherwise they can be sanctioned accordingly does that include capital? it doesn't include capital uh, stadium projects which you, you're completely right on um, it, uh, the, the other element also is that um, Spurs generally and historically have been um, pretty frugal with their spending anyway. So it's, this isn't like it's a new occurrence, but at the same time, you know, Spurs not buying anyone in the summer was obviously not what I'm sure your manager would have wanted. But ultimately, and this goes back to the same point we talked about on wages, it looked like over the last six to nine months that Spurs have um, entered into new agreements with a number of your top players. Mm. Now, that has definitely not come cheap, I wouldn't have thought. Whether that's broken the wage structures that um, the executive team had in place for their elite players, I don't know. But what I would say is is that when you tie up a lot of your high-profile talent to new long-term deals, you're very likely to incur quite big extra costs on a weekly basis. And that obviously impacts on your overall budget. Mm. You, there seems to be a lot of clubs acting a little bit more frugally now. Liverpool made two big signings, mm. but improved the, the squad significantly. And eventually, you think that would pay off if you end up winning Premier League trophies and, and whatnot. But um, do you think we're heading for a more frugal football industry in that financial fair teams do seem to be trying to be compliant to financial mm. fair play? Um, yeah, I, I agree. So, I mean, there's a really good doc which came out last week um, for any financial buffs among uh, your listeners, which is called the um, UEFA Benchmarking Report. And it's not just finance stuff, it's all really interesting stats. Is that the, you tweeted it? Yes, yes so I was reading it on the train. Yeah, it's tough read in parts, but it's really, really interesting just to get to grips with. And one of the pages um, is a really interesting one talking about pre-FFP club combined losses was over 1.7 billion euros. Mm. Now that's gone to, um, I think, overall profit in the last season, wow. which is an incredible transformation. Now, query whether clubs were spending very close to the beginning of the FFP uh, regulatory environment in order to try and yeah. work, gain the system. Don't know how that works in practice, but the contrast is significant. Yeah. And we're seeing even today, I think, or yesterday, it was reported that Liverpool may be the first, I think, EPL team to break the £100 million profit um, 
uh, cap basic not cap profit margin not profit margin but profit made for any particular season and that's in part because of the Coutinho sale and because of their big run to the Champions League final so um, and then it's been reported along lots of different seasons I think last season's worth of accounts 18 it's mentioned in the book 18 out of the 20 clubs made profit or didn't make loss for last season whereas if you compare that to the 12-13 season so many were making yeah, huge losses etc I, I remember one article and this may, may be wrong because it was many years ago but there was only two teams that were in the black yeah. in the Premier League and that's very common but then there's no incentive really to be a to make profit when there is no regulations that stops you well this is going back to one of the fundamental principles that we've talked about before and that that is the anomaly that is the football industry or the sports industry generally which is you know in business on the whole even if it's in the long term even if um, shops businesses companies are making losses um, in the short term ideally it is in the end to make profit and make and make returns for shareholders and or owners Mm. It's it's completely, uh, it's completely different in the football setting, because clubs aren't there to make profits for anybody. They're there to win trophies and gain success for their fans. Fans' perspective. So what we're effectively saying is, clubs are glory maximizers, whereas normal companies are profit maximizers. So if you enter the football sphere with not a profit maximizing idea but a glory maximizing model, then any billionaire owner presumably would spend as much as he could in order to gain glory for the team that he has bought. Do you, you don't? I mean, that's not reality, though, is it? That's not how. Well, it has been in the past. If we if we if we talk Abramovich, about um, Mansour, yeah, exactly. Sure, but say so Spurs definitely not that. No, Arsenal. and there's lots of different ownership models that yeah. we take into account. And what what that means is that if. Um, a, you know, a billionaire owner can't come in, spend huge amounts anymore because everybody has to live within their means. Then that presumably promotes pretty good financial awareness, management yeah. practices across the board. I think that the kind of go-to thing with financial fair play was once it's so restrictive, it's going to be damaging for the game. But actually, if you think of the people that are affected by relegation, by that reckless spending, you know, people go out of jobs. Yeah normal human beings that work at football clubs lose their jobs and, uh, and have to find new ones so, and, and it has a massive massive negative impact so I think it's not necessarily a bad thing but what's your opinion on it overall? Well I've always been relatively positive about FFP mm-hmm. um, it obviously isn't there to improve competitive balance which is um, how do you level the playing field you don't level the playing field by FFP necessarily but what you do is you you incentivize clubs to live within their means definitely a positive there I think the other thing to bear in mind is lots of critics of FFP say well it just closes the drawbridge for new ambitious owners that want to come in and spend a huge mm-hmm. amount in order to uh, compete against the now established elite I agree to some extent there but all the different rules be it UEFA rules be it Premier League rules be it uh, uh, championship rules etc they do allow for spending beyond your means UEFA, is it 30% is it? Well, there's all different there's all different contexts so with UEFA's rules you uh, can't spend more than around 10 million euros per season more than you earn but if you show a business plan which says over four years we're going to spend this amount in order to then recoup it through commercial revenues through commercial success whatever it is mm. that's a possibility 
Premier League rules, you're allowed to spend more, £105 million more than you earn over a three-year period and a smaller amount in the, the, the championship as well. So the, the point generally is, is that it's not like all of a sudden the drawbridge has been raised and clubs can never spend any more than they earn ever again. Mm. But at the same time, I think, I completely agree with you said, there has to be a level of rationality in club spending these days because otherwise, I don't think any fan, I know loads of Leeds fans, I know some Portsmouth fans back in the day, it was like they were saying to me, a lot were, I don't know if it's the same you guys, was like, I'd much have preferred not to have had those potential glory days if I'd known we'd have been close to going bankrupt insolvent and out of business and a loss, loss, loss of the club and a complete loss of the and club and the thing is uh, with Risdale he, he's Risdale he, his motives were the right ones it was the glory mm. what did you call it the glory glory maximiser glory maximiser and, when, and I, when you first said that I was like no, well, no club's going to behave like that but you think when buy, teams that owners are buying clubs and they've got more money than they can ever spend the next thing that, that they want to use that money for is to feel all of that mm. glory to feel glory isn't it so yep. it's kind of more valuable than the money they've got and that's why they, they spend it. okay we're going to wrap it up but before that um, just a couple of questions on the book what, why did you what, where did it come from good question did <laughs> you get a good idea did you have a publisher lined up and that well uh, ultimately it was with all the blogs that I'd done over the years on my on my website danielg.com um, a couple of journalist pals just said look it's all your stuff's pretty good mm. and it's really accessible it's, mm. you're, doing, you're writing something that people aren't really writing about um, I should put you in touch with my agent who might be able to do something and I was like bloody hell well you're getting an agent it sounds a bit weird and a bit pretentious yeah <laughs> um, but it's, it's often the toughest part yeah exactly and to be fair um, I met David Luxton the nicest guy you can ever imagine but he was brutal in the beginning and rightly so he was like Dan it's not like there aren't enough football books out there yeah. and he was right which then you know it makes you up your game to say well actually I think I've got something a bit different to say mm. which is this is the inside track about what fans should know a bit more about to give them more information about the industry that's mm. more or less what it is and I put my proposal forward did a sample chapter on the transfers and contracts and then literally two months went by didn't hear anything from David at all and he felt like that jilted lover or when you had a great first date with someone I had a really yeah. lovely couple of hours chat yeah. and uh, you think it goes well and you never hear from you never hear from them again and had you written anything in that time? Um, I mean, yeah, what, so, I mean, in terms of, so I'd written about three thousand word proposal and right. about a four thousand word chapter. It's a fair amount of work. Yeah, and so after a while, I was like, I'm to back from David, <laughs> and I was like, oh well, that's obviously you know the sign as it goes. Mm-hmm. I wrote to him, sort of you know half circumspect, going so, <laughs> <laughs> just checking in. <laughs> and yeah, and it turns out he's actually one of the most self-effacing and humble guys around because he had three incredibly large books that were being published by authors of his that went did brilliantly yeah. and he had so much on his plate what he hadn't told me was actually he really liked the proposal and uh, cha- sample chapter and had sent it off to five publishers oh. and I'd already got some potential interest in them and Bloomsbury was one of them yeah. so I was like oh bloody hell so, <laughs> so much from being <laughs> like on the jilted. yeah j- the jilted you know yeah. potential uh, writer here I am on the cusp of Bloomsbury Sports signing me up to do, um, do a deal and as soon as they were interested I mean I was like right just you know play cool play it cool Dan yeah. but actually just Get the bloody deal signed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what does so what does that does that deal mean? How does that work? Did they give you a deadline? Didn't they? Yeah, and exactly right. They gave me about um, uh, a twenty month deadline to write the book. And so I got very excited for about two days, had a few drinks yeah. with the missus. Yeah. Um, and Holly, my wife, then said, "Okay, we need to actually work out how long it's going to take you to write because we're like 
this is about 75,000 words for you to write. Which is a fair amount when you've got a job. A fair amount, we've got a job and two kids under three at the time. And yeah. so um, we, we spent about a week or so literally planning it out, planning a year, almost two years worth of writing. And we came to the end of it and she was like, you're a month behind already. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had to work out how much actual time was going to have to spend doing it. And yeah. so what we worked out and, you know, she's been a saint the whole way through the process because it's been, it's been bloody hard work is the truth. I've had to spend 10 hours a week for two years, more than two years in the end with the proofing and then editing and changing for probably almost three years. So four hours on a Sunday night three hours on a Monday night three hours on a Tuesday night I think that adds to ten yeah and that's what I've had to do week in week out for three years over my day job and the rest and it's not like you don't have a job that I can't imagine you just pack up at five and go home unfortunately not no. but you know it's been such a great process but a tough one at the same time and that's why now I'm here yeah. you know I almost I, I feel like proud and a real great sense of accomplishment and something I'm just be like you know what enjoy the ride and enjoy the sort of launch and enjoy you know hopefully the nice things that some people might write because you know it's been a great journey and something you know four or five years ago I wouldn't have thought would be possible yeah I read some good stuff on the Bloomsbury uh, website some nice reviews and nice comments and stuff Gianluca Viali yes. your forward yes presume you worked with him previously didn't you didn't just send him a speech <laughs> so Luke is a top guy I got introduced to him from a client and um, I asked him whether he was interested in doing some charity work so I, I'm, I'm the chairman of a charity called Football Aid um, which allows teams to play uh, fans to play on their um, pitch basically on their boyhood pitch or other pitch in the kit um, meet um, you know ex-pros etc and try and score a goal into the top corner nice. and I did that at Anfield back in 2003 and that's how I got involved originally and met Luca he helped out with loads of different things we got really friendly and bizarrely you know and it's funny as a football fan to say like you know I just go out for lunch every now and then with Gianluca Viali and, and chat to him about life yeah. which you know I don't think there's too many better things I could I could do with my time really and he was you know an absolute gent to, yeah, when I asked him just to you know write the write the forward which is you know really really nice you didn't get it when you emailed him oh god this is terrible no, he was like, he was like, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah. So the be- the nicest thing about it is, every now and then, I, I sent him a copy whenever it was about a month or so ago, and I just, you know, it's like the surreal moment when Luca sends you a message with a picture, you ho- him holding your book, yeah. just going, really enjoying it. And you're like, that is you know, you've, you know, you've, you've done all right. Where can you get it? Obviously, you have Amazon. Get at bookstores. Yeah, all good bookstores. Let me just say it again, just in case. Uh, well, we'll tweet out a link after. Thank so you. Available pre-order it on Amazon now, but it's launching on. The 24th. Yeah, 24th so it's available in Waterstones at the moment now um, and then yeah available from the 24th on Amazon to get delivered straight away so yeah please please get involved and let me know your thoughts on it amazing Daniel thank you so much it's at Football Law your, uh, your Twitter isn't yep. it um, there's so much more I wanted to talk to you about but I've got to let you go because you're very busy um, the stuff about uh, Bosman ruling Mutu well, let's, let's, let's put it in another one yeah if you're up for it we'd sure. love to do another one alright that's it the fighting cock uh, we'll see you next week Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network.
Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.